Hi, my name is Rabbi Dr. Yosef Shigalov, and this is the third podcast for Yaldish Shlochei Rebbe. In the last podcast, we talked about the five psychological concepts we need to be conveying to our children, being number one, respect, two, ability and achievement, three, love and attention, four, autonomy and independence, and five, trust. Last time we spoke about the first three, and today we're going to talk about the last two, autonomy and independence, and trust. Uh, As last time we spoke, these are really not discrete items. They overlap quite a bit, but to be able to explain them and to talk about them a little better, we are going to be talking about them as discrete concepts. Autonomy and independence. From a young age, children naturally have a feeling of their own being. They have a need to make their own decisions. As a baby, toddlers say things like, no, let me do it. I want to do it my way. These are the early stages of the development of an autonomous and independent personality. We as parents know that it is healthy for us to give our children a sense of autonomy and allow them to make their own decisions and also to slowly develop a sense of independence. Some children tend to show this strong sense of independence by pulling away from others, by doing their own thing, and by power and control issues, while others tend to express a sense of autonomy within a structure of friendship and relationships, such as wanting to be the leader. All of these are similar expressions of autonomy. The interesting thing is that autonomy and need for connection are usually two opposing needs, and they tend to clash with each other. But nevertheless, both of these opposing needs exist within the same child and with the same person. If you have ever raised a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. Teenagers often vacillate between wanting your input, your love, and your affirmation. At the same time, they'll often pull to the other extreme where where it will seem that they are totally ignoring you. This is simply because they themselves are struggling between two competing needs, the need for autonomy and the need for connection. As time goes on, children turn into teenagers, teenagers turn into adults, and hopefully they come up with a working balance between their need for autonomy and the need for connection. Interestingly, we see the same struggle in marital relationships. It's exactly the same. Individuals in a relationship seem to have contradicting needs. They may have the need for affection at some times and closeness, and at the same time, other times in the relationship, the need for autonomy. And in a healthy relationship, spouses work together to provide these needs in a healthy way. As parents, it is our job to create that balance in your relationship with your children. Parents, however, have their own role in nurturing and also facilitating the development of these traits. We have talked about connection as love in the past, and now we will discuss autonomy. We as parents need to allow our children to make their own decisions. They also need to have their own space, their own friends, their own things. In earlier podcasts, I talked about children having their own space as an element of teaching them the notion of respect. Tonight, I'm talking about it as part of the element of independence. Some other ways to talk about autonomy are privacy, individuality, or individuating, having their own space, having their own items, having their own philosophical views, having their own opinions, for example, choosing their own place where they want to go to school, 
as it says, person needs to be able to choose where they want to learn. We as parents are obviously obligated to manage and limit our children's independence and autonomy when they're younger. But as but at the same time, it is up to us to develop this need while also maintaining our own authority and parental control. As our children grow older and the need for independence and autonomy grows, our parental power changes too. When our children are 15 or 16, our parental input needs to change from power and control to respect and influence. Our children will not just listen to us because we are, the, we are bigger or because we control the purse strings or because we have power, but they will need to feel that we have earned our opinion as parents. They will respect us for our experience, our knowledge. This is called influence and authority, not control. How do we develop a healthy sense of independence in our children? Here's some specific examples. By giving children choices and respecting those choices. In younger children, we set up limited choices which are predetermined, such as we give children a choice which cereal they can choose. We say to them, you can choose either this one or that one. As the child becomes older, the framework remains the same, but the areas of choice change. By giving children choices and by talking to them about the choices, they begin to begin to learn that choices and freedom also come with consequences. Instead of telling them that they can't do something, we set up choices where they can also sometimes learn from their mistakes. This is an important part of teaching children independence, becoming responsible for the choices they make. For example, we might tell our children you need to be home by 6 p.m. for supper. If you're not home by 6, there will not be supper for you. Or for example, you need to be outside of school by 4 p.m., if you're not there, you'll need to walk home or find your way home. You have given the child a choice. And in this way, they get to see the consequences of their choice. The more personal input someone has in a decision, the more they are likely to take responsibility for that decision. Another way to teach a child independence responsibility is to let your child choose whether he wants to go to school with a lunch or, for example, with a sweater. When he makes the choice, he lives with a consequence and learns a lesson about making healthy choices. When we don't give them a choice, they don't feel the same sense of ownership for the consequences of that behavior. Experience shows that when children and adults feel that they had a choice of whether to do something or not, and that the decision was theirs, they tend to treat that choice with more respect also. Children who choose their own clothes tend to treat them with more respect. Any choice you give a child should carry with it a responsibility. Simply put, giving a child a choice is giving a child power and control. With power and control comes responsibility. For example, when dealing with a 14 to 16 year old, you can say to them, you can buy your own shoes, but you'll have to live with the consequences, such as if they're not the best quality shoes, they'll have to stick with them until you're willing to buy them a new pair. You can choose not to take a lunch to school, but you live with the consequences. I'm not coming back to school to bring you a snack, for example. You want to go to camp for two weeks? Then you'll have to deal with it. If you don't like it, we're not coming to take you home. Of course, I'm not saying that every choice must be followed through to its logical end. Children and parents make mistakes, 
and we change and we adapt. As children get older, they will be making their own choices, but we as parents need to be available to hold them responsible and accountable to those choices they make. If your child wants to choose which school to go to and you feel that it's okay for them to make that choice, then it's up to you to set an expectation or to ask them what goal they are setting for themselves. For example, if you go to that school, what grade can I expect you to achieve? You could say to them, you can go if you continue to achieve that grade, but otherwise we will make the choice for you. As I said before, independence also entails freedom, and children need a certain amount of freedom, but only when we as parents have determined that that freedom is safe. We do not give our children freedom on the computer because it's not safe, just like we don't give our children freedom to drive our cars without a license or to shoot a gun without training or whether to take certain medicines or not. In first grade, as I mentioned earlier, you give a choice a kid which cereal he's going to have for breakfast, what he's going to have on the menu. Second grade, you might give him a choice whether he wants to take a sweater to school or not on a moderately cold day. When a child turns 13 and 14 and you are still making all the decisions for them or they have not had the ability to choose, they start to make their own choices and decisions, but instead of including you in their choices, they make their choices behind your back and those choices go unchecked and not discussed. Interestingly, when a child feels that you give them independence intentionally, they tend to respect it more. And often, they will include you or your feelings in their decisions. Children who are given some freedom and respect to make their own choices are more likely to consider their parents' wishes when they make their decisions. There are, however, times and situations which will interfere with a child's willingness to make decisions, and we need to be more careful about things. They are, for example, anxiety and depression. When children are anxious by nature, or have some situational anxiety, it will be harder for them to make decisions on their own. Anxiety can sometimes be a significant concern which needs to be addressed, sometimes even by a professional, but sometimes it just needs to be addressed by giving the child some more time or some more help in making decisions. Nevertheless, as parents, it's important to think carefully how to give these children also an opportunity to make their own decisions. Children who are forced by others to do things to overcome their anxiety or their inhibition and to make a decision which they're not ready for will sometimes be lucky and overcome their inhibitions and feel relieved that they broke through their barrier. But often, the fact that they were forced into a direction makes them even more anxious. When a child needs to make a choice but doesn't want to, you may give the child contingencies, meaning options. I think it's a good idea for you to go to camp, for example, if you feel like it's not working out. We can talk about it in a week. And if it's not going well, we can discuss it then and you can decide what you want to do. Often the fact that there is an option for a way out helps children feel safe with a difficult decision. This method should only be used for children who have a real anxiety, not for children who are just being willful and uncooperative. Though it's not always easy to tell why a child is not willing to make a decision, it is important to investigate to find out what the reason is. Another reason why children back away from making a choice and look like they can't decide is depression. When a child says, I don't care, or I don't know, 
it can be a sign of depression and unhappiness, which needs to be addressed. In times like that, a parent may need to make the choice carefully for the child to re-motivate them or to move them forward. They may also need to reach out for help to find out why the child is struggling with making decisions. The next thing we talked about was building trust and responsibility. As you can see, building trust in children has a lot to do with letting them make decisions, as we talked about previously. The more you allow them to make decisions, the more trust you develop in them. But trusting our children is not something we wait to get from them. Trust is something we, by our actions, develop in our children. We give them opportunities to develop the feeling that we trust them. In a very young child, we may give them a task and we compliment them when they achieve it. Examples are asking a baby to put something in the garbage. When they achieve it, we acknowledge it. We have taught them that we trust them to do what we ask them. At an older age, we may ask them to give something to Tati, who is not present in front of us. When they do it and they come back and tell us that they've done it, we say, wow, you did what I asked. Thank you. This is also teaching them that we trust them. As they get older and we give them greater tasks, we also acknowledge through our words or our attitudes that we have trusted our children. There are also reasons why our children do not develop a feeling of being trusted and do not develop responsibility. Often because there are other factors getting in the way of their ability to complete the task that we have given them. A basic example of this is if I take my child to shul when he's three years old and I tell him he must sit still the entire three hours of davening. Later after shul, I come home and I say to my child, I'm very disappointed with you because you did not sit still and you were disruptive. That comment will make a child feel that they cannot be trusted. But in truth, their behavior has really nothing to do with trust. They were simply given an expectation which was not realistic for them. Instead of talking to them about trust, we should be talking to them about ability and about inability. Similarly, a child with attentional problems who doesn't do the homework, instead of blaming their inability on irresponsibility, we need to talk to them about their behavior as a difficulty and talk about ways to help them achieve their goals. Unfortunately, when we say things like, I don't trust you to do your homework, our children believe they're not trusted and don't feel that they can be trusted and in return often don't trust other people either. Instead of seeing a child's failure to live up to an expectation as a sign of distrust, we need to see it as a sign that we need to have a conversation about adjusting the expectation or giving them additional help to meet that expectation. A child who feels trusted learns to trust others. A child who feels distrusted learns to distrust others. Faith and trust in Hashem are extensions of children's ability to know what trust is. We also teach a child trust by being faithful to our own words. When we promise or even say, I will talk to you tonight, for example, then a child hears that as a commitment. When we don't follow through, we are teaching our children not to take our words seriously, and they learn not to trust us, and they also learn that they don't have to be trustworthy themselves. I'm going to end here. My name is Dr. Yosef Shagalov. I thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to be able to reach me, you can call me at 612-998-5669. My email address is drshagalow at gmail.com. Thank you and good night.